Welcome to the Dow Zone 9000, the official zone of 1900hotdog.com, the only remaining comedy website. Give us money on Patreon. Every dollar you don't give us means one more gigabyte of joy killed by chatbot. I'm enduring web favorite, Sean Baby, and I'm here with my co-host, third runner-up for Bobby Magazine's Beard History Month hunk, Robert Brockway. Coming for that number one spot. Here is a relevant Brockway fact. I once worked at a department store where my job was tasting things that weren't food. No follow-up question. Damn it. We are joined today by sports writer and defector editor, Dan McQuaid. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, Now, for people who don't know much about defector, can you give uh, our... Our listeners, it's a very, sure. it's a very rare modern internet success story. So I want people to, yeah, know. you know, I, I, I tell people I'm, I'm not, I, you know, I'm a journalist. I, I like to tell the truth. Um, I did not think this was going to work when we started it. You know, we started in, I think we announced it in like July or August of 2020. Um, we all used to work at a sports blog that I won't name. That is a, you know, pro- probably the most famous sports blog uh, there, there is. And, um, we were in a dispute with management. Um, they were, we had new ownership. It was some private equity doofuses and they, uh, they were, you know, trying to ruin the site. Um, and I think violating our union contract, you know, huh, um, that sounds and, familiar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, you know, I mean, this has been in like most places I've worked has violated, uh, my, my contract, maybe not most several. And, uh, and, they we like pulled a little stunt um, and they fired the editor in chief. And so we all quit. Um, and that was at the very end of October 2019. Um, I was pretty confident I could pick up a bunch of freelance work right away. And I did. And I think a lot of other people did, too. And then COVID hit and freelance budgets disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we decided to start our own site. Um, it's a worker co-op, which is really cool. I own like five point something percent of it. Um, and we've done really well. You know, we have about 40,000 subscribers. Um, you know, one thing that's great about the site is we sort of are allowed to talk about our own, inter- you know, like work on things that are we are interested in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our writers, Kelsey McKinney, um, she started a podcast called Normal Gossip last year and it was like a huge hit like if you look at top podcasts of 2021 it was like number one or number two in like every list and not just that it was on list it you know it's a really good show and so i'm really hopeful we can continue to create sort of more interesting uh content Mm -hmm. and yeah it's the most stable job i've ever had in my life uh which is great and i run our merchandise store um which has been really fun to uh, you know, I'm a writer by trade, but I've had a pirated copy of Photoshop since I was in like, you know, fifth or sixth grade. And uh, yeah, I hope Adobe isn't listening. I have a, I have a legal one now, so you know, we're all good. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it is yeah, probably you know, so- the, the best $10 I spend every month is on Adobe. That's, I think that's the most money or the most worth I get out of my money of any subscription. Oh, absolutely. I do. And you get like, like I have like their fonts and like yeah. their their stock photos, you know, and it's, oh, it's the DLC. Yeah, it is, uh, <laughs> got yeah, all the exactly. Adobe DLC. I have the DLC Adobe Creative Suite. He's got that pay to win shit. I actually, uh, I followed uh, David Roth there, um, who I think is one of the great uh, Trump writers, uh, I guess. Uh, now he's a great Elon Musk writer and a George Santos writer. He has a way of kind of maintaining this really level-headed contempt for that right-wing stupidity and hate that like we kind of rationalize as a, as an instinct 
and he he just through the whole Trump era, just maintained this, like, no, this guy's fucking stupid. And anyone who can't see that is fucking stupid. And that was like the tone of just 5,000 words every day. And I just, it made me so happy that he could maintain that, like, just anger, just that burning, like, this fucking guy is shitting on our world and you're watching him. I don't know. Yeah, he is my uh, direct editor. So I work with David, you know, I mm-hmm. talk with David every day. Um, he's like, a great writer. Um, he's also a really good editor. Uh, I believe he pushes my like me in the right direction when I'm doing stories. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I can actually plug one that I will be out by the time this podcast runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recently went to the John Bon Jovi rest stop on the New Jersey's uh, Garden State oh, Park. Congratulations! The sexiest this used rest to be stop. the Cheesequake rest stop, but they've they announced like in 2021 they're like renaming all the rest stops uh, on the Garden State Parkway after like famous New Jerseyans. How, and, how are the uh, casual hand jobs at the John Bon Jovi rest stop? Uh, you know pretty good you know i haven't gotten one every time but you know uh, occasionally there okay. uh, according- it's not quite as good as the celia cruz rest stop down the road mm, or yeah. uh, tony morrison is at the very bottom of the of the parkway now um, I, I don't put my mouth on anything at the tony morrison rest stop i'm just saying that rest stop has been turned into basically the flagship location currently of the new jersey hall of fame um which is a thing <laughs> so, so-, so appropriate so. Yeah, so so they are currently building uh, like a, a real Hall of Fame. Hilariously, it's at the American Dream Mall. I don't know if you know anything about this mall. It's like <laughs> at the Meadowlands. It's like cursed. A helicopter, like a decorative helicopter fell on people at the mall like a few days ago. Um, Jesus the last story I read, they have like $80 in the bank and they're just like constantly negotiating with their, with their I, creditors. I love a dying um, mall. There's... Yeah, but it's it's like brand new. That's the thing. It opened in 2020. Um, and so, but anyway, but so at the rest stop, it seems like the, the premise of the New Jersey Hall of Fame is like, New Jersey has a lot of famous people and they all want you to follow your dreams. And there are like just pictures of famous New Jersey people and they're they're like, you know, up on the wall next to each other in no rhyme or reason. Uh, like Gloria Gaynor is next to Albert Einstein. Um, <laughs> Dick Vitale, the college basketball announcer, is sure. next to Walt Whitman. Um, and oh, what that is seems appropriate. You say that like yeah. it's ridiculous, but that sounds that's exactly where I would put them. So what's interesting about the quotes is, you know, they're, they're sort of that typical, like, pithy, inspirational quote thing where, right. like, it's some sort of boring saying, but because a famous person said it, it's supposed to be, you know, like, I don't know. You got to attribute it to somebody. Why not? Yeah. Dick Vitale. Well, so the quote that Walt Whitman is given is, uh, be curious, not judgmental. And that is a quote actually from Ted Lasso. Um, okay. <laughs> the, the character Ted Lasso says it as a quote from Walt Whitman in the show. But Walt Whitman did not, did not say this. Um, it actually originally comes from an advice <laughs> column in a 1986 Charlotte newspaper that was about like a mother who had written in saying that she had found birth control pills in her daughter's bedroom. <laughs> okay. Um, now, so- now, Ted Lasso is often written to be kind of like, uh, the way I read the character is he's an idiot. Like he doesn't have a shit together, but he's pretending to have a shit together. So yeah. was that, so that was intentionally wrong by the writer of Ted Lasso, right? I'm, 
I'm I'm not entirely sure. It is a quote that is passed around. You know, it's on the, all those quote websites as something Walt Whitman said. Okay. Um, he did not say it. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. But, you know, and there's, there's like a couple of those there where it's like, oh, this is on all the quote sites, but I can't really find a citation for this um, of some of the other famous people. But there's one quote that's incredible, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And it is from Ed Harris, who grew up in, uh, in North Jersey. And sure. the quote is, acting is like scoring a touchdown. <laughs> that's the whole thing? That's the whole quote? <laughs> that's the whole quote. Acting is like scoring a touchdown. No second okay. thing. Harris yeah, out. So Sketch that lot, metaphor you know, any direction you want, it works. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time, like, thinking about it, just trying to figure out, like, what could this mean? And, like, sort of the most reasonable answer I came up with is, like, oh, acting is, like, such a great profession mm-hmm. that like every day is like scoring a touchdown the only other guess i came up with was like acting is like scoring a touchdown oj simpson has done both you know like that that's like <laughs> that works yeah and so i contacted uh ed harris's publicist and she was very nice uh to uh ask him about my silly question and it turns out that he gave a quote somewhere i'm not entirely sure i think maybe to the new jersey hall of fame where he talked about how, you know, he had played football for his high school in Mm -hmm. in Bergen County. And he was like, you know, like once I saw my football career was over, well, like I I saw like a great actor in a play and, you know, I thought, oh, maybe they'll applaud for me after acting like they used to applaud when I scored. (laughs) (laughs) Which feeds my insecurity. Hi, I'm Ed Harris. And and somehow they they like shorten that to acting as like scoring a touchdown. This does happen sometimes. There's that Martin Luther King mural in or uh, monument in Washington D.C. that had the quote on it when it opened that was like, "I was a drum major for truth, justice, and righteousness." And like the quote is actually like Martin Luther King saying like. You know, some people have called me just a drum major. Well, if you want to call me a drum major, you know, call me a drum major for truth. You know, like it's like one of those great, you know, speeches of him. I I did a really bad Martin Luther King impression there, but that's probably better. It's probably better. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not do the voice. To to sound like him. So they just sort of condensed it into like a nonsensical quote. Uh Um, So this does happen sometimes. I don't think I've ever seen one as funny as this. Um, It is fantastic. It's a real legacy media move to actually call us publicists. Like my instinct would be to make fun of it and nothing else. And you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to call a real person with a phone and get to the bottom of it. Like with journalism. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I listen to this podcast and, and I've been reading, you know, both of your guys work for a while, uh, what, what I really like about both of you guys' work is that you do research things, you know, like lots of comedy on the internet, uh, wherever that exists anymore, not on the sure. web, but somewhere. Here, it's us. just sort of like nonsense, you know, like it may be nonsense, it may be funny, but like you, you, uh, you have always like researched things, you know, really well, I think, you know, whether it was like old Nintendo power letters or, you know, or, <laughs> or you know, the film mannequin. And so yeah. I like had to call up because I was like, I, I had no, I could not fathom what this could possibly mean. You know, if you search the quote on Google, the only result is like a dude replying to me on Twitter when I first posted about the Walt Whitman quote being like, <laughs> I, I was there too. Acting is like scoring a touchdown. Um, Ed, Ed Harris's publicist has now asked the New, New Jersey Hall of Fame to remove the <laughs> This is the most New Jersey story. 
I may have ruined like Governor Phil Murphy's electoral chances. This was, you're like, an enemy of the state, the Jersey Hall of Fame. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, I've done some other accidental uh, things Persona in the past in my, in my career in New Jersey. Jersey now. I just like to picture Ed Harris like after every movie, like just being like, "Hey, hey, you guys seen the Abyss?" Touchdown! <laughs> Touchdown! Spice, can, like, like the ball in the football, like yeah. in some way. Yeah, <laughs> he just grabs a boom mic and throws it into the floor. So <laughs> anyway, if you if you subscribe to Defector Media, uh, you can read that story. You, if you don't subscribe, you can. I think you get a couple for for free. Um, I don't. Mm. I don't hit the paywall, but you know, I've been told you get something free. Fantastic plug. Yeah, that was what a journey for a plug. Really, I forgot we were plug. even plugging anything like yeah, four uh, times. Last, I was listening to some episodes and like like Lydia uh, plugged the book and uh-huh. uh, whoever you had during the Cleveland Browns episode plugged the book. So oh yeah, no, you, was, no, uh, the, that was totally the time and place to plug. I'm just saying, I it was such an odyssey we went on that I forgot it was a plug like four different times in there. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I felt like I needed to do something special since I didn't have anything. You know, we went yeah, to an incredible dying plug. mall and avoided a helicopter. We found out the backstory of Ed Harris. It was amazing. <laughs> Nobody's now, ever to gonna top some, that plug. What's to wild? Give you some is, contrast. So the 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 John Bon Jovi rest stop has like a gold record and like his guitar or mm-hmm. something. And what's amazing is that it actually was a great idea. Like when I sat there writing this, you know, when I was there, I've been there several times now to like investigate it. And uh, cause that's the type of uh, journalist I am. Yeah. People are always stopping and like taking photos of the Bon Jovi stuff, taking photos of the quotes, like standing next to his gold record and getting like their, you know, their husband to take a photo. It's like, it worked. I just wish they had used like, real quotes but there's another uh thing there about a there's a quote from plato aristotle and socrates um put well, Plato, of their era. Uh, yeah plato famous, wrote bad medicine famous famous <laughs> new jersey residents um and and they it's like it's it's a quote about like a term that isn't is in their work but like is is not uh it's it said that it's a quote said by them in 2500 bc which is not okay. when any of them lived. Um, <laughs> great, is, great start. The the like summary of the of the the concept is right, but it's like a quote that the New Jersey Hall of Fame made up. I talked to a professor of ancient history, and he gave me the lowdown on this, and was like, "Actually, it's really great. Like New Jersey is a town that is a state that like invents its own mythologies and loves like corny, kitschy crap." So. These fake quotes are like perfect for for the state, and I really do think he's correct. Yeah. Wait, now, wait, wait! I, Before we do anything else, I would like our, our listeners to stop right now, and I fucking dare you to picture what this podcast is about. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, oh, uh, write it in. I want to see. I want to see your guesses. <laughs> I want to see what you think based on so far. We, what we are need we to be careful not to. Title this in a way that will give it away. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did mention uh, what we're talking about twice, but it was so offhand. I think yeah. we're okay. no. We've given you clues. Like somebody mm-hmm. could get it. I I want to see if anybody does. I'll put together a prize for you. Nobody hold me to that. I'm completely lying, but do it anyway. I will give you if you are successful in guessing what this podcast is about. I will send you a Defector T-shirt from the Defector store. 
Another plug is DefectorStore.com. There you go. God, official a, official content. Such a pro. What a fucking never plug. Seen, never seen anything like it. <laughs> I like that you also went to a, a history professor and you're like, you got to debunk things I found written on a wall at a John Bon Jovi rest stop. And he's like, <laughs> fuck yeah. I've been waiting like, for my life for this. I don't have the training for this. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard because you got to find somebody who will like play along a bit. Yeah. Um, you sure. know, like sometimes I've, I've gone to academics for, you know, really silly stories and they're basically like, you know, like st- stop wasting my fucking time. How dare you, sir? <laughs> but fortunately, uh, there are lots of uh, academics yeah. who are. You got to find the ones that party for the John Jovi <laughs> story. We do not impugn Ed Harris at this institution. Uh, you know what we're talking about today? 1987's Mannequin. you guessed it you got it you got it it was the hit film written by the dream team of michael gottlieb and ed rogoff who worked together to write a list of huge movies like mannequin 2 mannequin on the move hulk hogan's mr nanny i'm done listing (laughs) the logical progression i mean once you leave mannequin where else is there to go but mr nanny uh, <laughs> so Mike, Michael Gottlieb was also the director and he also directed Mr. Nanny and his other film was a kid in King Arthur's court, uh, in another the mid-90s. classic, another classic little league kid thrown into King Arthur's court, classic concept. Uh, he directed only one other movie. It was called the shrimp on the Barbie, which was a Cheech Marin movie where he, uh, Alan Smithied himself. Uh, I mean, he took his name off of it. Uh, it's a movie where a, a wealthy woman, uh, the main human woman from mannequin hires Cheech to pretend to be her boyfriend to make her father like her real boyfriend, who's the bad guy from Commando, more by comparison. And yeah, oh, that's a bad idea. Yeah, but here's what happens. He teaches uh, her stuffy country club how to party. Well, that's a so, good idea. So that's uh, <laughs> that's the legacy, the film legacy of Michael Gottlieb after this uh, movie, which is completely awesome. And I guess now let's uh, talk about Mannequin. That's literally all the Mannequin facts I brought. I, I think Dan brought more, but... Um. I did. I So I listened to... I previously listened to uh, the How Did This Get Made podcast. It's like Paul Shear and sure. and uh, June Dan Raphael and, and uh, uh, Rafi from The League. Mm-hmm. And they did Mannequin 2 on the move. And uh paul shear shared that he read an interview with the he found an interview with the with the right with the with the director and he said basically like well we only thought about if it made sense for about 25 seconds and then we just moved on <laughs> it's very clear that that is how this mo- this movie was was written. oh yeah now there was a reason we did that in the 80s but i can't say what it was God, if, I, if only you could put it into your nose. A way to just get it into your blood. 25 seconds. That's the best idea I've ever heard. 25 seconds is way too long. We gotta move on. Now, I think I think Mannequin is one of the most truly insane movies. And uh, I did a cracked article on it uh, pretty recently. I was in the last six or seven years. And um, I, the, the hook I had in it was how every character that wasn't Andrew McCarthy got their life destroyed, which I thought was a good way to frame sort of a listicle type thing. Because the way they hit and run with concepts in this is just like fucking here's a guy we destroy his life. He's out of the movie. And they, that's basically every secondary character. Uh, and I guess that's pretty normal for an eighties movie to just sort of not care about others. And, 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 you know, but I feel like even the good guys were like, yes, nobody made it out of that movie clean. Right. But, uh, I guess let's, let's go through the movie and we'll talk about things as they happen. Uh, 
you're not going to believe this, but the film about uh, a mannequin that comes to life starts in ancient Egypt. Uh, and the, the, it doesn't give us the exact date at first. It says a really long time ago. Then it adds right before lunch, what? which is a great what? way to set the comedy tone. <laughs> Just like real, <laughs> real silly grandpa level of joke construction is my point. If they had said 2,500 BC, like the New Jersey yeah. rest stop, it, it actually would have been pretty accurate, I think. Yeah, just pick a nice round number. No, yeah. that I love it because it's, it's my thesis statement, which is that you didn't have to know shit about shit before the internet. You could just say stuff and nobody was going to ever check. You yep. could just, yeah, whatever, ancient Egypt, who gives a shit? Let's go. And we are so on board because we've already like seen the poster or picked up the VHS box. We're like, yeah, the mannequin comes to life. Like, I'm fully on board of this concept. If you try to explain it with some rules, you're only going to fuck it up. Like, the- I guess it's it's like if you started Gremlins with like a flashback to an ancient man wishing upon a star to become something strange, but definitely not a gremlin. Like, what if I could play baseball really well? And then also, in addition to that, one of those baseballs was picked up by a gremlin. Like, just just this real loose linking between two fantastic supernatural ideas. Well, they explain their entire premise and all of the rules, my favorite way, which is an animated series of antics <laughs> yes, over right. the theme song. Just masterfully done. Yeah. Just, which is that she's a, that she's a muse. Song. Yeah, but like also a cat monster? That yeah, was weird. Cat monster? Where did the cat monster come from? Because I don't, I don't get... I, the cat monster was never referenced before or since, but she <laughs> is a time-traveling inspirational cat monster in this right. animated series of shorts. And she is responsible for every great piece of art. And then also the discovery uh, that the world is round. Right. Yeah. She was involved with Christopher Columbus. Uh, they, they set her up as like, she's artist, a artist, 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 Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Famous slaver and murderer. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is, you know, so like the opening is, you know, she's in, in, in ancient Egypt and they say like Edfu Egypt, like, oh, thank you for giving me the city. Yeah. Like Thanks I would have been way out of this movie if you had it. Uh, and it's, it's like Phyllis Diller is her mom in the opening. And they actually like, she gets her, it's like, she gets her, her name at the start of the credit. So that had to have been like, I'm not, I will only do this like cameo if you put me before the credits. It's not quite name above the title, but it's something. Um, Yeah. I, I, I don't think even at the time, Kim Cattrall and Andrew McCarthy were bigger stars than Phyllis Diller. Gotta get that Diller energy. This movie's going to tank. So then she like, she, she, you know, I guess, you know, we have the animated scene, which I guess sort of tells you things. And then later she says like, oh, she dated Michelangelo and Christopher Columbus. And like mm-hmm. those, those people aren't contemporaries, but they're pretty close. And then the next we know she's in 1987 Philadelphia. Like, yeah, I, I guess this movie would be worse if it explained the rules. Like there are way more rules in Mannequin 2, um, which actually doesn't feature any mannequins, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> but but like there are lots of rules in Mannequin 2 and it's like a significantly worse film. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it's like they, they hint at the rules because she she begs the gods for sort of an unspecified thing. She's just, I, just want, I want interesting things to happen to me. And then she vanishes. Like the gods are like, oh, we got this. Cat monster, force gumping through time. Uh, sometimes you're a mannequin. Most times you're not. Uh, when you're a mannequin, you turn into a human when no one's looking except for one guy. The guy who makes you as a, as a not a mannequin, a sculptor, but a, a sem- you know what? Let's just 
This is one of my favorite parts. Okay, so she jumps ahead to 1987 Philadelphia, or and yeah. she jumps ahead, and we open on 1987 Philadelphia with with him working as a mannequin sculptor. Now, sculptor, this, I know that he says he's a sculptor because he says this took me like three or four days or weeks or whatever to make this to sculpt this mannequin by hand. Because that's how they assumed mannequins were made <laughs> without checking into it at all. And then he's like, three or four weeks, you got to do this in three or four days or three or four hours. And he's like, no, it's you're not hiring speed sculptors yeah. to make women out of... That's not how any it's of it works. Very... But you never had to look it up. Yeah, well, the, my take on this was that... Because all of the arms and legs are just like dangling around in, in piles. And so I thought this was a place that assembled mannequins from pre-made parts because they also didn't show any sculpting. I, I, I honestly think he spent six days applying makeup to this nude human torso he found in a crate. That's that's That was my read on it. No, I think he's supposed to be a sculptor because they didn't look it up because they made assumptions. Right. Yeah, <laughs> they were like, like, how do you think they make mannequins? Eh, they probably ain't sculpt them, uh, every <laughs> single one. Um, this may not be... A- Surprise, but I have interviewed the woman who made the mannequins for this movie. Good. Like um, in preparation for this podcast? Uh, no, for a story I did. Uh, because you've been years ago. training your whole life for this podcast and didn't realize <laughs> I, I it. Can, I can get into my personal history with this movie later. Let's let's save the embarrassing stuff for later. Okay. But um, so the movie, uh, the, the woman who sculpted the mannequins for the movie is Tanya Wolf Rager. Um, and she is great. She is like a really good, uh, you know, just, just sculptor. Um, mm-hmm. And she, you know, she, she called herself serious as a heart attack sculptor. I'm looking at my story now. Um, she said that she cranked out a mannequin every two weeks. So this place was like a sweatshop, I guess. Mm-hmm. If they, if like Jonathan taking uh, a, a day or two to, to do it was enough to get him fired. You're right, because he only sort of like assembles the mannequin. We sort of say he sculpted it, but we don't yeah. see him do it. Well, he has the torso and he's applied the makeup and he's like already fallen in love with her. And then he just grabs the torso and like sticks it on a few different legs. And he's like, okay, these are the legs. Then he just grabs some random arms. Like, okay, these are the arms. Yeah, it's it the torso like a, that yeah. takes forever. You got to get those. You got to get the right titties. You got to get the right face. Yeah. And then uh, the rest is whatever. It's just like real life. He picked Kim Petrell, 10 out of 10 choice. If you're listening, Kim... Va va voom, 1987's Kim Cattrall. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think we all agree the movie's already off the fucking rails. Like the premise is insane, the uh, the plot has 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 some errors, and uh, so he's fired. And now we do a montage of Andrew McCarthy going through all of uh, the jobs he gets after he's fired from the the magical job that conjured a, a an Egyptian. Uh, I guess she's a muse. Trump. She's, yeah, a she's, muse, a, right. she's a muse. She's like a she's a Olivia monster. Newton-John from yeah. Xanadu. Yeah, she eats his brain at the <laughs> so end of this. We all know that. I was thinking this was this movie is a lot like Xanadu in that uh-huh. like a, a muse comes down and helps someone in business. Right. Like, that's like at least this one is kind of artistic. Xanadu is like he's like I want to be an artist, and then they open a club. Uh, but you know, but, but like, it is very strange that like he, like he wants to be an artist and he ends up vice president of a department store. <laughs> yeah. Be careful what you I fucking said. wish for. This is ironic but, genie rules. 
1987, that feels like high art when just like- It does, it does. Like a, a fancy way to do capitalism is like, yeah, that's a form of art, of the highest form of art, in fact. Uh, so I, I really like uh, one of the first jobs he gets is a birthday balloon folder. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> there's a kid there named Super Kid. And he's like, I want your big balloon. It's this giant balloon that has his company's name on it. And he's like, all right, fuck it, kid. And he gives the balloon to the kid and he starts to float into the sky. He grabs him by the ankles. And the dad says, hey, biscuit brain, get your hands off my kid. And Andrew McCarthy makes a great acting choice to demonstrate he knows what this means. He's like, well, I'm going to do what he says, but the kid will die. He lets, he's like, oh, fuck it. He told me to let go. Let's the kid go. He's like 70 feet high before they leave that scene. Like super kid. There's no way he lived through this. Dead. Fucking- the, the tragic ballad of super kid. Died to, died to Andrew McCarthy's yeah, balloon he's like, he's incompetence. He's an actual, uh, balloon boy. Yeah. So, so yeah. far the film has, uh, I guess let's, let's take stock. Uh, the, the filmmaker said, we are crazy. We make a lot of mistakes. We kill children. And that's like what we know about them. And uh, he now gets fired as a topiarist because he's too slow. And then fired as a pizza assembler because he's too slow. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> they, they really only had like two ideas there. Uh, yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. He just loves art. Any kind of media, as long as it's slow. Uh, Even if it's pizza. Yeah. So I, I just think it's very interesting that the two men who wrote Hulk Hogan's Mr. Nanny don't seem to understand art. It doesn't make any sense to me. Real artists just do what we do, but really slowly. Like if right. we if we did this really slow, which we can't for again reasons we can't talk about, we would be much better artists. And uh, the only thing separating us, they do another thing. I love. Uh, feels like an eighties thing to me, where uh, the guy's partner they hate each other, and she like knows stuff. He reveals his secrets to her in strange ways. So she's like, Hey, you ready for dinner? He's like, how about we just get a hot dog? And she's like, Oh, you lost your job again. Like she's a, she took that suggestion and like understood like his failures. And, uh, so she basically was like, I hate you. Cause you never have a job. Uh, the ter- the terrible girlfriends of the eighties. Right. <laughs> the whole decade when we hated girlfriends, <laughs> but, uh, he has, he's, his motorcycle breaks down. He's having a real rough day. He's walking at home in the rain. And he sees, the mannequin in the window and runs right up to it and starts talking like, like, so he's, he doesn't know she's magic yet. And he's already talking to her. He might little, literally be crazy. I think a safe take on this movie is that it's all a hallucination by this troubled person. I see. He oh, says that in the absolutely. text. Uh, so keep that in mind. They don't reveal that. And I guess the sequel sort of throws a monkey wrench in that, but um there's no way we can factor a sequel also into the mannequin, the MCU, the mannequin <laughs> cinematic universe here. Like this is enough. This is enough to go off of. God, I would love it. I would love it if eccentric billionaire just threw two hundred million dollars at a mannequin universe. Just a full case I mean, one, two, three of mannequin. As you'll as you'll probably learn by what things I'll say about myself and mannequin later in this podcast. Like I think I deserve the rights to it. Someone should just like give me the rights and I'll become a filmmaker and remake this movie. God, I'd be so good. Like a recent, recently an idiot bought Twitter for $44 billion. Do you have any idea how many mannequins that would buy? It's possible. <clears throat> I can't wait for that movie. <laughs> that movie a where he just impulsively Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking anything's uh, possible these days. A, a billionaire might buy mannequin just out of spite. You don't know. <laughs> uh, 
So I, we're trying to, trying to speed run this plot because there's so much that happens before we even get to the movie promised us by the poster. So the next day, Andrew McCarthy shoves Estelle Getty out of the way. She runs a giant department store. Uh, a sign was going to fall on her. While he's swinging through the air on the sign, like Looney Tunes style, being they're having a conversation. In the <laughs> also being electrocuted in the asshole. <laughs> he's like, she's like, can I do anything to help you? He's like, well, I could use a job, ma'am. She's like, okay, cool. What are you doing? He's like, oh, I, don't, I'm, I don't care. Anyway. Uh, she puts him in touch with James Spader, who right away smells mannequin pervert on this guy because he's like, oh, well, what do I do? No I guess I want- <laughs> Absolutely. He's like, I want to do something with mannequins. And James Spader's like, uh, you're going to the mailroom because that's some mannequin pervert shit. We're not putting you <laughs> anywhere near. We, we know that. See, this is, okay, I want to pause at this point because this is one of a few large statements that Mannequin the movie makes about the world, whatever weird dimension this takes place in, totally accepting mannequin magic from this movie, it's the weirdest fucking place. Because <laughs> this is a this is a thing. Like he goes into this store and immediately everybody that catches him in any like risque situation with a mannequin, everybody knows what's happening immediately. They're like, oh you're a mannequin fucker, huh? Another one of those. No, no, no. Don't explain. I know enough about mannequin fuckers. I don't want to hear it. It's fine. It's like it's like yep. a guy with a, a foot fetish at a shoe store. They're just like, yeah, it makes sense mm-hmm. that you're here and that you're doing this terrible thing. And I just don't want to know about it. So like, every, this is a thing in the world. You have to accept as part of the world that this takes place in. Uh, yeah, everybody fucks mannequins. Everybody knows that. Like, it's so weird that the movie does not get much if any comedy out of like him trying to hide the mannequin uh the mannequin turns into turns into a woman if you haven't figured that out (laughs) only in his presence and like there's not i thought you know there there like should be seeds where he has to like you know sort of hide her hide that he's with her or or whatever but instead he just like walks into the like women's room with her and then like all the associates are like oh he's in there fucking the mannequin again <laughs> it just, it's an accepted part of reality in this world right. it, the part of this world is like every yeah we have to deal with this every department store has like a system of laws and and inspections to prevent public mannequin fucking and he's violating those is the only problem we have do you remember the film duets dan have you seen duets uh, I have not, movie. but I'm I'm aware of it. Okay, so that's like a movie where someone sat down and said, I'm going to write a karaoke movie. And I feel like this might be a movie, they don't know anything about karaoke, I guess I should I'm, add. I'm glad we're getting into this because yes. I think this whole movie is the duet syndrome where they invent yes. a world that does not exist. And they just, it's the craziest thing that they assume well, it is. They're like, specific- let's, let's make a movie about the people who fuck mannequins. And the other guy's like, well, hell yeah, let's put this Mr. Nanny script on hold and <laughs> imagine the, the, that world. And then they wrote for, for people who fuck mannequins. And However, like, there's two, there's two points they do that in this movie. One's that every that everybody fucks mannequins and this is a known thing and we're just going to work around it. Two yeah. is that professional window dresser is not only a profession that one person has, it's a profession that many people have. It's the sole thing they do. The world is completely crazy for it. Yes. At one point in the movie, uh, they, the front line, the headline of a, uh, of a newspaper, the front page is just about the window dressing of a store. Right. And they're like reporting on it. They're a rival window dressers. He's headhunted as being the chief window <laughs> dresser. They assume that the high stakes 
world of window dressing, much like much like over the top is just like, yeah, you know how there's a, a, obviously a black market underground arm wrestling competition in all trucking. Right. You know that. Let's make a movie about that thing we made up. Yeah, <laughs> like, I want I want you, people window to know dresser that... doesn't exist. I mean, it's like part of somebody's job for sure, but it's not a right. It's not a career. Well, I, I looked up uh, the the news clippings from when this movie came out, and because this movie was filmed in Philadelphia, um, Philadelphia <clears throat> uh, is a town without celebrities. You know, we have like news anchors, and then like, mm-hmm. like me, like I get recognized on the street sometimes. So like <laughs> that's how few celebrities Philadelphia has so there were like a lot of yeah yeah there's 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 a decent amount um (laughs) a lot of so there were a lot of stories in the local papers about this even though like all the local papers you know were like this was a terrible movie um but so the store that it filmed in was wanamakers um which is since it's now a macy's uh you know it got bought in 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 the 90s i believe and so they uh they say so they they asked like a wanamaker executive like could like let me just read the article by robin pally in in the philadelphia daily news okay could could grand window displays really turn a store around and then here's the quote from the exec not alone though visual merchandising is key to the retail business so so the answer is no <laughs> no right but and- but I when I was talking to this movie about my mom once, she was like, "Oh yeah, when we were kids, we used to go downtown to see the Wanamaker's window. Like there, there used to be like five department stores on Market Street in Philly." And she was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, we used to go down to see the window displays every winter." And the the what's now a Macy's still holds like a light show, the same one from like the '60s every Christmas, uh, like in its like in that grand big hall that they're that they're sure. sometimes like dancing in. Um, so it's like mannequin just like turned it up. Like, yeah, they saw that and they assumed like, well, we got to do a movie about the cutthroat world behind (laughs) this. And then they just made it. I want everyone to be very clear that for, for us, the viewers and Andrew McCarthy and his mannequin, this is a film about a mannequin that comes to life for every other character in the movie. This is a race to get the greatest window dresser in Philadelphia to work for them. Like that's the, a plot for every other character. I guess George Bailey is trying to kill Andrew And of McCarthy. course the B plot the, is mannequin fucking. Yes. The, the article also says like, uh, like here's a quote from, from uh, Jeffrey Comet, Wanamaker president. Uh, you have to buy mechanical things that will adapt to different displays and motors that can drive more than one application. To produce them all all the time, like in the movie, would be prohibitively expensive. Yeah. And, and yet, in the universe of this film, I believe the number is, is that they say it takes away 87% of the business from other <laughs> yes. you know, It's the yeah. only reason anybody shops is based on, like, the window display. Like, I'm not going to that fucking loser <laughs> store. What is this? Put some fruit but in the window. Like people like, like like pounding on the windows in excitement. It is yeah. like so funny how much there's the citizens a, of Philadelphia love these windows. There's a woman who is frantically sketching it like she's in a like a gallery <laughs> sitting sitting in front of a grand masterwork. She's just like I got I got to get these tennis racket <laughs> arrangements down. The beauty of this, <laughs> uh, f- I fucking love it. Uh, my notes say here we're only sixteen minutes into the movie because I made a note of the first time Roxy gets sexually harassed, who is Andrew McCarthy's girlfriend in the film. Uh, her coworker motorboats her at work, and she plays it off like, "Hey, come on, buddy! Like, we, I gotta get back to work. I can't I can't be you know 
There's a lot of direct sexual assaults with no comeuppance, with no punchline. The punchline, I guess, is is this works and women love it is the eventual payoff. That's the the sort of the theme of most 80s movies. It's just persistence and sex crime will eventually get you the woman of your dreams. Uh, Two minutes after that, Andrew McCarthy bursts in on a real woman in a dressing room. Uh, So that's two sex crimes in two minutes. It's just what I had in my notes. uh, he does. I got a set of pace here. <laughs> he does find uh, his mannequin there in the store, and Hollywood catches him falling in love with a mannequin. So we should introduce Hollywood. Uh, this is. Uh, uh, I can't believe we haven't talked about Hollywood yet because. Yeah. Okay. Can I before we so talk about there. Hollywood? I I I have a request, and I know it's not going to be granted. <laughs> can Can you not do the voice? Oh God, that's going to be really hard not to do the Hollywood voice because Hollywood <laughs> introduces himself with a squeal and then he screams Hollywood. Uh, and it's, he's played by the. Go- I knew your answer was going to be no. I'll do my best, but I mean it's hard. I'm glad you mentioned it to be honest because there's no chance I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't said it. But uh, if, you, if you do the voice, I may need to leave the podcast for fear of uh, everyone unsubscribing from. That's true. Eighty-seven percent of readers will uh, unsubscribe <laughs> because of a Hollywood. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, this is Meshach Taylor uh, from Designing Women. Uh, he's uh, no longer with us, but a, a great actor and not not a gay man. We should. Make it clear. Yeah, he kind of uh, plays the same. He plays like a 10,000% version of his Designing Women character right. in this movie. Uh, yeah, the, the much more 80s version where they were like, this is the only kind of gay person that exists. We all know that. I want to just go on the record and say that his performance is captivating and mesmerizing. He steals every scene he's in. And I love Hollywood. He's the best part of this movie, for sure. <laughs> I mean, his uh, wardrobe is great. But yeah, he... Yep. he steals it even from his own wardrobe the first time i wrote about this movie and it has been uh, we'll 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 get to more about about me i'm i I feel like i'm like previewing it eventually i'll i'm getting hyped for this revelation so so uh like the the first time i wrote about this i got emails from like like older gay people who were like, Oh, this is such an iconic movie for us. We love Hollywood. And I guess there were just like very few flamboyant gays in movies at the time that this, like, I think you wrote in your cracked article, like he combined the gay stereotype, the writer's news, like new and nothing else. Right. (laughs) But also, I mean, you got to appreciate what it was is that this character was the gay stereotype character was in all sorts of movies as the comic relief, which he is here too, but they always found a way to dance around it. They'd be like, Oh, he's so quirky or I don't think he's playing for for our team or something like that. This is the first eighties movie I can remember where they were said, this this is specifically is a man who dates other men. Yes. He's going to talk about it. He's going to reference having sex with other men. Like he Correct. is this and is to a their gay credit, yeah. And Andrew McCarthy is fully accepting. He's not like ooh gross. He's like, I'm talking about this like I'm talking about a normal thing with a normal friend. Yeah. And and one of the other characters, George Bailey, the security guard, says something homophobic and Andrew McCarthy calls him a bigot. So in the text of the movie, it's like this guy's a, a wild flamboyant gay man, and that's super cool and his thing, and we accept that. Because we still we still weren't doing that pretty good until move. like late nineties. We were yeah. still there were movies that were hesitant about that. Agreed. So yeah, I see it. I see it as like plus. So I'm you saying know, this movie is uh, written by maniacs and very stupid, but holds up like uh, you know 
it's had fair one to very progressive part. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is this is six years before the movie Philadelphia. Like this movie should like ha- like Meshach Taylor should have won the best supporting actor. Oscar. This is the real oh Philadelphia right here. God, can you imagine Philadelphia with two Hollywoods? God, that'd be a fucking good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Starting got the second picture slated for split, our split screen. Meshach Taylor. Oh fuck, that'd be good. Split uh, screen deep fake Meshachs. Like, like if we put another. him, if we put like him in all of the M Night Shyamalan movies, I think it would improve like most of them. <laughs> he could go to the beach where you get old. But it makes you old and like like Palm Springs old man gay. Oh God, I'd be a really precious film. One of the one of the pairs of sunglasses he wears are like the pair of sunglasses that they gave out at Pizza Hut in the in the late <laughs> in the late eighties. They were. They absolutely um, were. Yeah, it's like one like circle and one like triangle. Yeah, God, that was it's so like great. Checkerboard wing coming off the side. He's full trapper keeper face. Yeah, he's dressed like a gay trapper keeper. Yeah. Wait, hold on. I need no, no. You need to let me explain that. He's he's not. I'm not saying he's dressed like a gay child's trapper keeper. I'm saying the trapper keeper itself is gay and choosing to express itself in this way. So I just went online and looked. Better. I went online and looked. It's it's totally cool to call someone a gay trapper keeper. It's okay. Just, yeah, I, I checked for you. Uh, it was meant in a positive way. <laughs> I can't think yeah. of a higher compliment. There's no way anyone would think we mean any of this in a negative way. We clearly love Hollywood. Uh, he gets introduced to us while Andrew McCarthy is like, you know, falling in love with a mannequin. And I just, I made a, a point in my notes of keeping track who knows at this point. And so right now at this fi- in the film, three people suspect Andrew McCarthy of being a mannequin pervert. And that's uh, James Spader, the guy who watched him fall in love with the mannequin as he made it. And then uh, Meshach Taylor, who just straight up caught him with his own eyes. Clocks doing it. So, him immediately. He clocks yes. him immediately as a mannequin fucker. That's <laughs> yeah. the first time I sat up and was like, wait, that exists in this world. Like <laughs> he's so ready for it. That has to be something he not only has experienced, but is just sick to fucking death of as like a window dresser. Like he comes into work every day and has to just chase perverts away from his workstation. Stop fucking my mannequins, everybody. <laughs> so, so this is also the scene where she comes to life for the first time, but I only remember it from this. I have a clip of Hollywood's introduction. Listen, I gotta go, okay? I promised my girlfriend that I was gonna take her out tonight, okay? Ah! <laughs> what? What happened? What did I say? Albert left me that bitch. He said my thighs are too fat to My thighs are too fat to you. <laughs> you didn't know. Hollywood, I don't know about men's thighs. They, they look fine to me. They really, they really do. Thank you. Albert called me Cellulite City. Maybe he's right. Maybe I should have my hips lifted. God, he just takes this scene away. Diets are no use. It's those jelly donuts. They call to me in the middle of the night. Hollywood, Hollywood, come and get me, Hollywood. I can't stay away from them. It's like you and women's dressing room. No, 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 that was a misunderstanding. It wasn't, though. Have your friends ever been vacuumed out? I heard those doctors in Beverly Hills. Vacuumed out. They just open you up and suck those fat cells out of there. It sounds nice. I wonder if there's any way you could do it yourself, like with a vacuum cleaner or something. (laughs) (laughs) See, he's working class. He's been off work for an hour now. There's just no telling what he's gotten himself into. Hey, hey, take it easy. Okay, go, just go home. Just poor Andrew somewhere. McCarthy just being fucking steamrolled. Yeah, like he came to work that day and just, he had to sit down after this and be like, no, what am I going to do? Oh, damn it. What am I going to do with my life? The principal stars. 
He's just nobody's gonna out. remember a goddamn thing Look about me out. after this. Because Hollywood is on your case. Yeah, go get him. And he was, was 100% right. What prompted that was him just mentioning the vague concept of romance. Like, oh, my girlfriend's a little upset with me. He goes, yeep, and then goes off. It all feels improvised. I'm sure it isn't because, you know, it, 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 on paper, it looks very scripted. But, like, just the way he steamrolls Andrew McCarthy and he's just kind of laughing through the scene, it just feels like, God, this guy must be so off script. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, he was, he was 100% right to do it and 100% correct that – he would just kick Andrew McCarthy right out of the movie. Like I, yeah. I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, but the only thing I remembered about it was Hollywood. And I was like, uh, yep. Hollywood and something about a mannequin. Is he like best friends with a mannequin? Uh, this is a real story. Um, I ran out of a summer camp to get married a couple of years ago, like right as COVID started. Uh, it didn't happen because of COVID, but uh, we were going to have our friend dress up like Hollywood and do the ceremony as Hollywood. And that's how much oh my, uh, my wife loves mannequins. Oh, wow. I'm so mad that party didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. You would have seen a man dress up like Hollywood and, and do a marriage ceremony. Uh, I, I can't believe that's not an option in Vegas or in yeah. Philadelphia, really. Like, uh, there yeah, should just be ideas. a dedicated chapel. A, a Hollywood chapel. Get married by Hollywood. 24 hours. Renew your vows with Hollywood. Didn't do the voice. That did not count. Nope, nope. I'm proud of like, you. That was like an announcer, you know, saying yeah. like, "Come, yeah. come, get, come, see Hollywood." Yeah, it's like <laughs> a on the street. Uh, so she comes to life, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going crazy," and we have to deal with that a lot, obviously. But she finally says, "Like, hey, I saw you last night. You looked real sad," and he's like, "Oh, wait, you saw me last night. It all adds up. You must be a magical mannequin from ancient Egypt." And uh, finally, we can get on board of the movie. After all of this, uh, she she makes it clear that she's been forced gumping through time. She's she's Icarus, I think, from one of her stories. Uh, so, but also okay, no, part, she, no part of that lines up. Right? Yeah, that, that's like I don't I don't feel like that's fair. Uh, but then she says, "Hey, that's the dress I should wear in the window," which was really troubling to me because she like knows what she is. She knows like, okay, I just came to life, but I know I'm a mannequin. I fully accept it these weird toy story rules where when people are looking at me, I'm a statue, but I'm also by my senses are working and I'm fully aware. I'm just like trapped in this unmoving body. I love it. It's great. I'm so happy that yeah, they like she, she becomes a mannequin, which they don't explain. And like, obviously like she had had previous boyfriends as she does explain, even if they were, you know, hundreds of years ago. And like, she, she becomes a mannequin and she immediately knows like what a mannequin's job is. And she's immediately good at it too. Cause she helps him decorate all the windows yeah. and they win all the business. But she w does not know what uh, musical equipment is. Because later in the movie, they fall into some musical equipment. It turns on and she goes instantly, where do they hide all the musicians while she starts dancing? Like, like it's, it's a throwaway line, but it's like she's been not on earth for that long. She, she can't she, imagine a phonograph. It establishes that she doesn't exist when she's not with a man, which is a... Uh... Not I mean great. that's eighties. Yeah, I mean that's, yeah, it's not. It's very nineteen. It's not great, but it's very nineteen eighties. Yeah, right. I read. I read a bunch of reviews of this movie, uh, and like virtually all of them are like, "This movie is just a ripoff of Splash." When I disagree. Like, I hard that, disagree because that, Splash is a Splash is a woman who comes from the water as like a baby, and she's like, "Oh, you're a you're a fantastic man because you're the only man I know." Where Kim Cattrall has been like 
traveling through time meeting the greatest men in all of history and she still is attracted to Andrew McCarthy. So yeah, like, like your he's, dick game he's up against some real up standards. Christopher Columbus, notorious yeah. for his dick game. Like you've got, you've got, you've got some high standards. It's true. So I, I guess that's my, my big disagreement there that certainly she seems like a magical woman conjured in weird science circumstances, but uh, she's way more capable than like the fish lady from splash. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say she has agency, obviously, because she's a literal statue. It's the 1980s. But, uh, but conceptually, uh, at, at the end of the movie, when she comes to life, she should have agency. Whereas in Weird Science, Lisa had like too much agency. She was like an actual genie who could fuck with people. But although she was still owned by them, I suppose. Uh, no, this is going to take a lot more thinking. I think uh, maybe forget yeah. everything I said. Uh, I might be wrong about a lot of stuff now that uh, <laughs> just <laughs> being like a common being thought in the eighties, being wasn't it? Uh, yeah. shattered by deep thoughts about mannequin. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> fuck right. my life! I have to rethink everything. <laughs> uh, so the next morning, he runs up to his girlfriend, who's with her sexual harassing coworker, and he tells them both, "Like, guys, last night my fucking mannequin came to life." And she's like, oh, that's your excuse for not calling? Fuck you. But I made a note that now five people know about him fucking mannequins. Uh, anyway, the crowd is gathered to look at the window display. And we see that Roxy gets hit on again by her regional manager. And uh, she gets luckily rescued by a maniac talking about this amazing window display that Kim Cattrall and Andrew McCarthy made. And it's the talk of the town. Um, so. Yeah, instantly. We've, like again, it expects you to be on board immediately. Like it doesn't even tell you window dressing is like a really big deal in this world. It's it's this scene that shows you. Like he sprints up yes. to them breathless and is like, everybody's talking about it. Every the whole city is going nuts. Like, oh, <laughs> I okay. love that. <laughs> the love montage, this. the montage with the news articles about the window displays is like on the screen for like, like there's like, you know, of a, of a newspaper is on the screen for like a really long time. So, and they didn't even bother to write actual articles. It's just like nonsense text. <laughs> yeah, in the right. Thing. But it's on screen for like a full minute. It's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> they just really like nobody, they, I admire how much confidence they had that nobody would give a shit about this movie. They're like, yeah, right. whatever. We're making the mannequin movie. Nobody's going to read. Nobody Here's can read. Here's what's so great about that is that um, they have these newspaper headlines that are obviously stupid and insane. And the writers put this in the script that like, there's this amazing paradigm shifting department store window display. And then they gave this to a production designer and they're like, hey, uh, the script calls for the uh, uh, world changing window display and the media blitz that would surround that. And I, I don't think it worked. I, I don't think that production <laughs> no. designer lived up to the task given to them by the Imagineers Behind Hulk Hogan's Mr. Penny. That's that's the point I'm trying to make. You would you would think that like the article about the amazing window displays would include a photo of the window displays. Right. Or anything. Or or why suddenly we're talking about window displays at all. Uh, uh, anyway. It's so out of left field. So we also find out that um that that her sexually harassing regional manager is conspiring with James Spader to like ruin the store so that the evil Illustra can do a hostile buyout of the, of the department store. So he's in, in the company, he's trying to tank it. So it's, it's also uh, a springtime for Hitler in addition to being a Forrest Gump and a Toy Story and a weird science. 
uh, or uh, if you think of Kim Cattrall's motorcycle, it's also kind of a dirt bike kid. Anyway, these are all these are all great influences. And I don't have a comp for the mannequin fucking part. I think they invented that. <laughs> they might come up. I think with that all the mannequin road. fucking movies after this were doing a mannequin. Yeah, if there was a Toy Story parody, then this is stealing from that. Yeah, the porn parody, uh, absolutely. <laughs> the porn parody I, that was implied. I guess that's. I mean, I, I'm getting. I'm moving all around now, but that is something I've thought about the movie for a while. Like. Is it a children's movie or an adult's movie? Because like it's, it's a, it has a lot of like sexual innuendo in it, but like all the characters are about as smart as like four year old. Like it's it seems like it's a kids movie. It's written like a kids movie, right. but there's lots of like you know, sort of half sex jokes and yeah and things like that in speaking, it. Speaking of, let's do let's speaking of kids movies. Let's let's settle this right now between the three of us. He Andrew McCarthy's having sex with Kim Cattrall as a human. Hollywood walks in, she turns into a mannequin. Does it pop his dick off? No, his dick is just stuck inside there. I thought about this immediately. Okay. It is stuck inside there, though, because she does not have anatomically correct parts. We we established that early. You can see on the other right. mannequins. So he does become at least temporarily fused into the mannequin. Living until- penis, or is it mannequin penis since it's crossed like the threshold of the magic barrier? I- oh, Ooh, this is tough. Fuck. I think it chops it off and, and it's just stuck inside of her. The teleportation rules. She comes to life again. Okay. What <laughs> if it's going through a hole in 2500 BC Egypt? Oh, uh, that <laughs> is uh, going to be a tough one to answer. I'll have to ask like a professor of... Uh, the, the inspiration for that's all Egyptian art. That's why so they make we- obelisks. Is there, it's all just supposed to be Andrew McCarthy's penis. Uh, f- fantastic. I'm really glad we settled that. Uh, so they have a board meeting about the stock boy who made a great window display. <laughs> that, like, and we are led to believe this is the only order of business. Like they have brought in all of the, the owners and, and board members to discuss this. Uh <laughs> but they've decided, okay, the guy who made the great window display gets to keep his job. <laughs> so, such, wait, wait, no, it's such a great scene. They're considering selling the company and, and Estelle Getty is like, oh, but I, but we have this great new stock boy. And, and they're like, all right, well, we'll give it six more weeks. Like, what? <laughs> it's so good. It's so fucking good. Um, so at, at the end of the movie, I want to uh, make it clear that this is a spoiler, but Estelle Getty has a security system installed and she watches the store at night. So she knows uh, already that Andrew McCarthy is having sex with a mannequin that comes to life. She already Every, knows what's everybody happening. Everybody knows that already. Everybody makes that assumption the second only, they see Andrew McCarthy. Only Estelle knows that it's a magical human mannequin though. So, Everyone else thinks he's having sex with just an ordinary store mannequin and they well, go the whole movie knowing. That's depending on your point of view because I believe that she's in if they reviewed the videotape, you would see him dry humping a mannequin. I don't think you would see a living woman there at that time. So do you think even the act of looking at it through a, a recording would like retroactively turn her into a mannequin in the footage? Yes. Wow. Perhaps in time also. Okay. God damn. That's fucking, that's a, yeah, it's fucking, it's that fucking dropped a bomb in my brain. Schroeder, Schrodinger's fuckable mannequin. It's a classic, uh, classic. I'm not, I'm not sure how it works. And, and I do think like, 
Try, uh, no, trying to think about it more would be very funny. This is why um, Mannequin <laughs> 2 had to be made. Yeah, but no, Mannequin 2 like makes things way more confusing. It's yeah. actually it's actually like a it's like a thousand year old or it's like a, a yeah it's a thousand year old like peasant girl statue. Um, oh, which sure, and it like it tours America, and for what? some reason instead of like appearing at like you know like the art museum. It appears at the department store. Like there's like huh. a whole show about this. They still didn't look anything and, up. <sighs> yeah. Hollywood Hollywood keeps calling it like I have to prepare for my presentation. He says it like forty five times in the in the in the sequel. Well, the thing is he probably did many takes and they're like, We're not we're not losing a second of this Meshack Taylor footage. Yeah. yeah. Like that's a that's a good choice, I think. Uh but I want to talk about what they do at night because they obviously have some sex off camera, but while they're on camera, they are performing like comedy tableaus for us. Like it's so fucking weird. Like they get all dressed up in costumes and then just kind of do little skits and. Or like no one like. Yeah. For yeah. no one. And like if, if this wasn't a movie, it would be insane. If this was, this really suggests that it all is happening inside his mind, that this is just a maniac who goes in and like plays mannequin with the mannequins for a sexual fetish. And then someone adapted that for a screenplay. But uh, the security guard at this point in the movie, yes, (laughs) at this point in the movie, the security guard is looking specifically for him. He's like, I'm going to come at night and find that guy making window displays and fucking kill him with a dog. Like that's his plan. And Andrew McCarthy and Kim Cattrall are just rampaging through the store. They're just grabbing stuff off the shelves, dressing up, do, recording music videos and playing music. And I, I just feel like if your security guard can't catch the two people doing this, like what, what is the point of him? Uh, it is a big store to be fair. Um, he's, he's, he's just a security guard, but he does kind of just play his character from police Academy. Yes. Um, which is, which is great. I'm not sure he has a huge range as an actor. Uh, he seems to have one comedic take. So every time James Spader says something to him, he looks puzzled off to the side, but then sometimes he's truly puzzled. And sometimes he's like pausing to deliver something sarcastic. And I'm just like, I, I, I feel like he br- might have actual brain damage. I feel like uh, that actor, George Bailey. There's, uh, there, uh, there's, there's like a really good, uh, like negative Roger Ebert review of this film. You know, he was always like pretty funny when he, when he panned like, you know, a a real bad movie. Mm -hmm. And he talks about that character and he's like, he even says in the movie, like, why, why you like, like, he's like, I don't think I've seen that in a movie since like 1930. You know, like it's, it is a movie that does seem like it's it should be set like, you know, 50 years earlier. Right. The other cops, the other security guards are full on like Keystone cops. Like they're like, yeah, wow, wow, we'll get you. I think they overshot it to like almost hit fast zombies. If you watch the scene where they're chasing Andrew McCarthy, you're like, this is a this is a fast zombie scene. Yeah, they can't work a- human bodies. They have yeah. no experience working human bodies at that point. It's their first day in a body. <laughs> this film also does the we sped up the movie to because yeah. like, we realized that this wasn't a good joke, so we're we're trying this. Yep. this now it does that a few times. Yeah. Uh, so during the scene, uh, George Bailey sends his bulldog Rambo into the elevator. He sees, oh, Andrew McCarthy's in the elevator. Attack! He sends the dog literally to to kill a man, and uh, we don't see what happens. But like the mannequin does something to the dog, and the, and the, the dog's never the same. The rest of the movie, there's like a running gag where the dog is afraid of mannequins, making him a really bad 
department store security dog. Uh, so it's, it's such a weird joke that like, haha, the mannequin kicked the dog, I guess. Uh, also, I, I want to go on record and say, I think it's strange to, to kill an, a, an employee of a store with a dog. Just, just, just a, a man who's meant to be there. You shouldn't send a dog to murder him. I, I, he, at a, one point, they, in, when they first have their showdown, the security guard, like, finally says, like, I've finally caught you fucking this mannequin. And then he straight up attempts to murder him. Like, he's like, yes. now I'm going to murder you. I think he just, he has so much experience and is so exhausted by mannequin perverts That's in his store yep. that he's just like, he snaps when he sees them. As yeah. a, as he's he, he expects it. He's not surprised by it at all. He's like, ah, I got you, you sick little bastard. Now I'm going to kill you for doing this mannequin. He knows there's no rehabilitation. You don't send someone to prison. They come out not fucking mannequins. It's like, <laughs> you've got to kill them. It, it's, it's a, he's, the, he's the punisher, basically. Uh, so, God, what do we have next? Uh, so Roxy calls Andrew McCarthy, invites him out for lunch, and they go to a place he used to work at that he burns down. And the maitre d' instantly recognizes him. He's like, what the fuck? It's you, the guy who burned the restaurant down? And Andrew McCarthy's like, yeah, fuck you. I don't give a shit about that. Fuck you. And <laughs> I'm a stock boy now. <laughs> I burned what I want. I made a window display. Maybe you read about it. Of course you did. It's all anyone talks about. <laughs> uh, so she's there to say, hey, we want to hire you to do window displays for the other store, for the evil store. And he's like, if I'm one thing, I'm loyal. And I want to, uh, obviously that's a, uh, great thing for a person to try to be, but he fucked a mannequin the night after having an argument with his girlfriend. Like they didn't break up that morning. They had an argument and he's like, fuck, I'm going to go have sex with the mannequin. He leaves the restaurant and he tears the wig off the maitre d. He slaps a fire that he started and does nothing. You can't put out a fire with a wig. <laughs> leaves the burning remains. It's, it's Andrew McCarthy's just like, fuck you, bald, flammable liar. I don't know. <laughs> I like I, that they I cut away it. from that scene while the fire is actually growing. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's quickly growing out of control and it, nobody has like made any legitimate attempt to contain it. So the, the joke is that of course he burned the restaurant down again. And I just, it's just such open spite. I love it. Yeah, it's a very 80s attitude to just have the main characters run through life and just let everyone wallow in the scorched remains of their chaos. Just fucking, we're important. Fuck you. Anyway, I love it. Uh, so they, at this point, the movie's kind of in a weird loop where they keep cutting back to them at night, just doing weird comedy sketches and tableaus. There's one where they do like a sort of a... a cruise ship scene and he's rubbing lotion on her and I'm just like fucking now my brain it like what are you why would you rub lotion on a mannequin what happens when she turns back <laughs> into the statue like does it absorb like, the lotion yeah like she needs to moisturize like how the, how the hell does this work yeah it's just it's a step too far in a thing that's already like several steps too far I just I, I fucking hate how much it makes me think about these things um so the, the security guard's trying to catch them, but also uh, his girlfriend and her sex pest have also broken into the store to catch him in the act of having that, sex with a mannequin. That classic comic pairing. <laughs> yes. Now, <laughs> I want the, the security guard wants to catch them because uh, he, he's been given this task by James Spader. He wants to destroy this guy to destroy the company. Roxy and her sex pest want to, dis want to catch him to blackmail him into making window displays for the other store. Like, 
the that's hottest the mannequin block. pervert in town. <laughs> All the mannequin perverts are talking about him. Haven't you seen the front page of Mannequin Pervert magazine? <laughs> uh, this movie, this scene has a fist fight because uh, the security guard does catch him fucking the mannequin, like dead to rights. He's rolling on the floor. It's in a swimsuit, and they have an actual fist fight. And he punches Andrew McCarthy in the face and says, "This is for my mama," which is <laughs> fucking crazy, unre- right? unrelated psychosis. <laughs> yes. Uh, Kim Cattrall knocks him out because um, he wasn't quite looking at her when she threw the kick. Um, Which again brings up, so it's only if you're directly looking at her, not if you're in the room. Right. So every time and somebody's like, in the room but looks away, she comes to life again. She can move a little closer to you, just inching like, closer only, every time you look away. Only humans count, I guess. Yes, I, the, I don't. Yeah, you can blast a dog, dog right in the face while dog, it's looking at yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, they have a bike race past Hollywood. Uh, and here's another thing I want to settle. Let's say he turned around and saw her. She'd seize up and turn into a mannequin. Now, would the bike freeze in place or would she keep her momentum and just crash into body parts? I think, uh, she, I think she would crash into body parts. Yeah, she yeah. would keep that momentum. The bike isn't part of it. Yeah, okay. I, I agree. I agree. That, so it's very dangerous to have a bike race past people yes. if you're a mannequin. So... So this is some daredevil shit. She also hang glides in the scene. She's she's in an Amelia Earhart outfit and she's like, oh, I got to fly. Even though the movie established she was Icarus. She's like, oh, I finally get to fly. Uh, she dive bombs the security guard. He looks over. So she's a mannequin in, when she does this. Let's, let's clarify. This is all still in the department store. She oh, hang, right, right, right. She's, hang, she's hang gliding inside a department store. And dive and dive bombing in a full size hang glider and dive, dive bombing yeah. the security guard. Uh, knocks him out cold for the second time in one night. Like he is concussion on top of concussion. Uh, it's fine. They leave him there. He is there till the next morning. Like, fuck that. Guy. Yeah, yeah. He's knocked <laughs> out for like eight hours. <laughs> yeah, he, he's definitely dead. Uh, they, they, Andrew McCarthy uh, is joking with his manic about having kids. He's like, should we name our kid Pinocchio? Which I feel like is a real, Ooh. like, real rough joke. Like, she should have said, Get the fuck out of here with that shit. Uh, yeah, that that's like, uh, it's also like, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, that joke like makes me angry. Yeah, yeah. It, it, in a film that starts with uh, a long time ago, just before lunch, like that's better than this. Yeah, so, yeah. So we have a scene now where he's carrying the mannequin into a storage room. Uh, presumably to dress it up for a window display. This is his actual day job, but everyone's looking at him and giggling. Like 12 people are like whispering about him. <laughs> we know what you're going to do knows. with that mannequin. Everyone knows. The second after that scene, where the whole store knows he fucks mannequins, he's promoted to vice president. <laughs> 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 love it. I love it. Um, they do have pictures of him having sex with the mannequins. So the blackmail uh, project is still going. Uh, God Which damn. again, they don't. Think, they don't want to ruin him. They want to hire him. Yes, despite it's or because like of everyone, the knowledge. Everyone at the store already knows he fucks the mannequins. Like, what is there to blackmail him? Right. With? It was part of his promotion. Like, they yeah. were just like, "Yeah, you, you could be here all the time with your mannequin." Like, <laughs> we wink, wink. We know what that means. Yeah, and at this point, he like. He decides he doesn't care. Like things are going so well for him. He's like, I don't care if people know I'm in love with a mannequin. And yet he does not explain, hey guys, this turns into, when you're not looking, it's a real woman. He's just like, I just will let them think I fucked the mannequin. He puts her on the back of his motorcycle. 
his real girlfriend sees it and she's heartbroken. She's literally been left for a mannequin. Uh, so the pervert from her work says, Hey, you know what you ought to do is have sex with me. This is probably the 15th time he's offered to have sex with her in this car ride. And she's like, fine, whatever. And ladies, it uh, works. It works. But then he can't get it up. And so there's a big impotence gag because she is, uh, she's so cold. Colder than a mannequin. So, so, so this woman has been like basically, whatever, femasculated by by a mannequin twice. I, in, I in enjoy that. how how the impotence is portrayed in this, and that he mm. opens the covers to look down at his penis, and then he's <laughs> he screams to the sky and shakes his hands, and then gives like an Italian "What are you gonna do about it?" kind of thing. Like uh, I think he says like. Why can't I have a mannequin too, or whatever? So, like, not only does he like you know sexually harass her, uh, like sexually assault her, uh, you know, then eventually she she's like bullied into it, and then at home he he can't get it up, and he insults her by saying he would prefer a <laughs> dummy, as they say a bunch a bunch of times in the movie as well. All while yeah. doing just. Italian pantomime for for exactly the scenario that's happening. Yeah, when age gets the better of me, and uh, that happens to me as it might someday, uh, I'm glad my wife has seen Mannequin and will know exactly what I'm doing when I do exactly this. <laughs> hey, why? What's the input? It? Huh? <laughs> I wish I had a mannequin. <laughs> I guess that sort of gives it away. Uh, <laughs> so uh, at this point, there's a car chase also. Like they're really like speed running the movie at this point. So the, the uh, James Spader and George Bailey are chasing Andrew McCarthy. He's on the motorcycle with the mannequin who who's the dude, like little gags where the mannequin come to life long enough to flip him off and then turn back into a mannequin. And uh, they're chasing him in a car and he's in a motorcycle. So he's obviously just zipping through traffic to get away. No problem. They crash this car like fucking eight or nine times. Like they're just completely trashing Philadelphia uh, and I guess the plan was ram them and take the mannequin, not because she's magic, but if they had this mannequin, they could coerce the man in love with it into making window displays for them. So that's still the plan. And they're, they're uh, executing a classic trope. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, I, at least they've come up with a better plan. Like that one might, might work more sure. than the take photos of him. With the mannequin, everybody already knows he's... Exactly. He has no shame about that. He's like, ooh, these are nice. Can I keep these? He's already masturbating to the photos. Uh, But they they go out and they kiss on a dock. uh, And it's it's kind of a nice scene. They're they're demonstrating for probably the 20th time, hey, no, they're really in love. Then they go back to the store and they just fuck in the store. Uh, They show... God, there's at least $150,000 of the merchandise that has semen on it in like this scene alone. And maybe sawdust. I don't know how mannequins like, lubricate. I promise. Like, I promise. I don't know how mannequins lubricate. He like wakes up in the middle of the store naked. Yeah. And as their, as their new vice president. Yeah. And, and what does everybody that sees him naked in the middle of the store covered in fluids do? They applaud. They openly <laughs> applaud. It's like a full standing ovation. God. Now, I don't know if they're like, this guy knows how to party, so we're applauding him, or if they're like, this is some sort of profound window display taking place in the center of the floor. Ooh. <laughs> Featuring I, only the artist himself nude. Yes, truly. Dude. Truly I'm a just, bold innovation. 
on dozens of thousands of dollars worth of fur coats. Like these are such expensive coats. And he came on all of them. He came on all of them. Uh, so he goes, they, they do take uh, the mannequins. They did break in that night and take all the girl mannequins. And so they wake him up and he is like, oh shit, I got to go get the mannequin back. He goes over to the evil department store and he's like, yes, yes, we knew our trap would lead you here. Here's our offer. $55,000 a year to be our window display guy. And that's, again, it's probably too much for a, a visual merchandiser in 1987, but, but it's also like it demonstrates the stakes. Like it gives us a number for the stakes that like, doing all of this to fill a $55,000 a year job position. <laughs> and, and like they didn't even use the mannequin to leverage anything. Like could have been like, how about an unpaid internship? They're like, no, we'll give you a very, very nice, generous salary. Uh, getting getting your love back is just a little bonus. Right. Uh, now he's like, has an actual fist fight with security cards, like multiple security guards. Uh, he's beating them all up. It's full cartoon battle. Uh, Roxy, out of pure jealousy, has taken all of the stolen mannequins, uh, which are probably eight or $900 each. These are like more expensive than one might imagine. So she's destroying a lot of, of expensive stolen material. And uh, I guess it's 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 worth mentioning that that she's destroying them on the department store's conveyor belt <laughs> conveyor belt leading up into like a pit that drops into a like a wood chipper. Yeah, into their it's like into the like destroying they machine. machine to dis- yeah, <laughs> yeah, they invented a machine to destroy mannequins. It's right. straight out of fucking Roger Rabbit. It's just yeah. like a doom machine. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a hundred percent how you would kill a super friend. It's just this fucking madness they have that. Feels like I didn't even notice when I was a kid. Like this is just totally ordinary. Like, like their world, the world they invented is completely insane. Like, what? <laughs> like what that, is the use for this? What sinister? <laughs> what sinister thing do they use? That, this there's for? a long conveyor belt going, like going up to the mannequin chipper. It's like, how much do they have to? Like, how many mannequins do they have to d- destroy that they created this like chipper for it? And they have like a you know like. 10 foot long, like, yeah. you know, conveyor belt. Takes up it. basically an entire room. This department yeah. store, the mannequin <laughs> destruction room, of course, is where this next scene takes place. <laughs> uh, but, but again, she does not know this mannequin is magic. She just says, I hate this mannequin because my ex-boyfriend loves it. <laughs> I just, everyone needs to be clear. No one knows about the magic mannequin except for one person. Uh, so now, during this battle where uh, Andrew McCarthy's fighting his way down to the, the mannequin destroyer to save her, Hollywood picks up a fire hose and sprays down the security guards and some real cops, I think, at this point. I have a yeah, shot. Yeah, there are. Yeah, he does, he does attack the, the uh, yes. Philly police force. He just I ruins love. him with a fire hose. It rules. It's a classic twist on a civil rights violation. I, I really like this. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna play In several clip. directions. Where'd <laughs> <laughs> go, buddy? He's having so much fun. Do two things I love to do is fight and kiss boys. What's the matter, honey? What's the matter? Come on. Woo! This is what being a man is all about, honey. Oh yeah! Mine's bigger than yours. Mine's bigger than yours. Shit. Oh, 
shoot him. The two snaps. <laughs> the two snaps. Oh, and then oh, shoot I love him. It. Murder I that am, man. I'm 100% certain they gave Meshach Taylor the fire hose and said, just scream shit for 20 minutes and we'll keep all of it. Just hose down these white men dressed oh, like police officers. And he's like, so I know exactly what to do. I love to fight and kiss boys. Take a sloppy floppy ride on this tube, Dr. Wick. Like just nonsense. <laughs> Here's Beautiful a splash nonsense. for your drink, Officer Meekalk. And that's that's what made him, this scene is what made yep. him a gay icon. God, it's so hard not doing the voice. Yeah, he did the voice. Say, we were getting we were getting dangerously <laughs> yeah. close to the voice now. <laughs> I get the character. Like as you see, like I, I embody the character very well. Yeah, but yeah. This is the finale. Uh and Andrew McCarthy's does like a diving save to save the mannequin from falling into the wood chipper. Wait, hold on. And, because oh, right okay. before right before that happens, uh the janitor, who's a very important character yes. for the finale. Comes out oh. of a back room doing up his pants in a way that's very clearly telegraphs. I was not taking a shit. It was something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This and, is and suspicious. Proceeds to view this entire thing. So there are multiple witnesses and she can't turn back. Right. So it's a, uh, that's a good point. Like a janitor knows that this is some sort of a magical mannequin situation. Uh, Instantly he- clocks the mannequin fucker trying to save his love. Yes. And she comes back to life, uh, I would think, because of true love. Like, he's like, yes, but but this is true. I guess the rules are she comes back to life <clears throat> true after true love has been declared, but like 72 hours after that, like from the first declaration of true love, you have to wait three business days and then the mannequin <laughs> comes back to life. Uh, so anyway, she's a human now. And the janitor does not think he's crazy. The janitor 100 percent understands what's happening here. So he's he's, he is trash. also a mannequin fucker is, is the yes. clear implication. Yeah. He knows absolutely. what's happening. He clocks him. He's a mannequin fucker too. And is like, Oh shit. I knew it all along. There are magic mannequins. Right. So he's searching through the trash to find more of them. And he finds Roxy who has been knocked out by falling garbage. And he has no reason not to believe this is a mannequin that came to life. I found one. This is I, yes. It's uh, finally happening. The rapture is here. <laughs> and the mannequins are coming to life as the prophecy foretold. Yes. He's certain by the laws of the universe he just witnessed that this mannequin will come to life, has come to life, and will love him forever. Despite uh, her loud and continuous objections that she hates it and to stop touching her. Uh, this is troubling. Uh, he kisses her. And uh, I did make a note that three out of the five straight men she has encountered in this film have groped her. Uh, none of them were her boyfriend, I should say, of uh, three out of five. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of those includes her boyfriend. Zero uh, were her boyfriend. That's a mannequin fact. Uh, anyway, she rejects him and he fights it. And uh, this goes on for, I don't know, probably 15 seconds of her saying, no, stop. And he's like, blah, blah, blah. and Andrew and the mannequin are right next to them. And he actually says to this, you have to call it a sexual assault at this point, a criminal rape at this point. He's like, have fun, Roxy. Like he's like leaving her to be torn apart by this janitor basement. To the mannequin destroying uh, pervert in the basement. Who will certainly throw her in the wood chipper when he realizes this mannequin is broken. Oh, she doesn't love me. Okay, this is a bad mannequin. I'll throw it back. That is Uh, the clear implication at the end of that that, scene. We're two minutes from that. Uh, So now... Hollywood reacts to the mannequin coming to life uh, pretty quickly. He's like, oh, like, what does he say? Like, mama, put quarters over my eyes because I know I've died. But he he knows this this is the mannequin that came to life. Uh, dealing with it quickly. I like that him and the janitor do that. 
but also we got to, we got to wrap this whole movie up. So the cops come in and they have the right to arrest every single person in the room. Uh, Roxy on grand theft and destruction of property. The janitor on the sexual assault currently happening. Andrew McCarthy for 25 counts of assault among numerous uh, indecent exposure uh, charges. Hollywood uh, for a very erotically charged fire hose rampage. I think that's against the law. Anyway, they have a lot of reason to arrest everyone, but Estelle Getty's like, no, guys, I have a security tape that'll explain everything. And I'm like, oh, okay, this old lady has a tape. <laughs> that's we need, we need to see that. They don't ask any questions. Yeah. Uh, such a great ending. Uh, this tape has proof of the supernatural on it. Uh, and she's kind of cute about it. Like she tells Andrew McCarthy, I only saw what I needed to see in a way that affirms <laughs> I've seen your dick going in and out of a time traveling mannequin <laughs> on the fur coats. Very plainly. <laughs> like I watched you rail that mannequin in every position all throughout my store and I'm into it. Love it. Your secret's safe with me. Uh, so they leave with the janitor. Uh, they have no qu- further questions for him. He uh, decides there's gotta be more mannequins in here and he dives into the garbage leading to the fucking wood chipper conveyor belt. Like he's risking certain death to get another magic woman. He's seen two of them already. He's so lonely. Cut to a wedding and that's that's the movie. Cut to the wedding you never got to have. Yeah. I made this point in my Cracked article that this would be a real hard wedding to set up because these two have no guile or understanding of the universe. And she's like a 4,000-year-old like foreigner with no papers. I, I, just, I just feel like it's probably not a real wedding. I think they just got dressed up and, and sort of. That was, I mean, it's, it, it really is the store's like latest fancy window display. And like, think of the stories in the paper like, famous window display designer married in window display. <laughs> to mannequins. It's the only yeah, thing any of to, them understand. They filter the world through window displays and mannequins. So. <laughs> You know that guy, the 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 janitor, the the trash compactor room janitor at the mm-hmm. end. He's also in the second film. He and Hollywood are the only characters oh who my God. carry over to the second movie. He has like a bit of a plot. I think he still works at the department store there. He's like, I'm looking at his IMDb page. He was like a writer for all that and the iCarly, like all those shows by that guy, okay. uh, like Dan Schneider, who's who's like a, a creep. Sure. Um, and yeah, it seems like he's still working even as an actor too. So <laughs> good for him. Uh, yeah, Mannequin was his first role. So really, this this movie created a lot of a lot of. <laughs> and that just in Mannequin too, I bet he's just chain smoking. Like I keep looking, I can't find another one of these magic ladies. <laughs> he did. That's the lesson of this movie. If you do a good enough job, you get to fuck all the mannequins you want. So. The wedding, um, the wedding actually gives me a good segue into my story that I had been hinting about earlier and my personal history with the movie Mannequin. Um, and so I definitely saw this movie as a kid, you know, so I was born in 83, like four years before this movie came out. Um, and I definitely saw it as a kid. I know that like Mannequin 2 on the move, like ran on HBO one summer, just like on a loop, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of those things. And so I definitely saw both of them as a kid and I didn't really think much of it. And then like about a decade ago, I I saw for sale at like the FYE at the gallery, which is like was Philadelphia's downtown mall. Um, and so I watched it and I was like a freelance writer for 
Philadelphia Magazine at the time, and I was just filing like I don't I, I don't know how many stories a week I was filing, but one of them one week was titled "Why Mannequin is the Best Movie Ever Made About Philadelphia." Um, you know, and the article is just about like how smart board, and yeah. silly the movie is. Yeah, but the point why I say it's the best movie ever made is that there's a part in the you know in the end of it where she says you know he asks her I'm quoting the movie here like how do you know you're not miss- missing something better 5,000 years later? And and she responds like, nothing could ever be better than being here with you. So mm-hmm. like, this is a time traveling ancient Egyptian who dated Christopher Columbus and Michelangelo and like was around for, you know, all of these things. And she thinks the best time in world history is 1987 Philadelphia, <laughs> um, which as someone, you know, this is a city and this is going to sound like I'm making this up, but I'm not. Um, this is a city that just two years prior dropped a bomb on like a black, separatist right. uh comp- compound in a row home and then like decided not to put out the fire and like several blocks burnt down um obviously i love philadelphia i live here um i i might have picked 90s philadelphia or uh, you know there there are other times um i guess they 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 will be moving on there but Pre, um, pre-racist bomb or very very post-racist bomb would be the best yeah time. yeah or i don't know lots of times i mean obviously i i you know i when the, I when the machines Philly take over and we look back on this time, we will realize that 1987 Philadelphia was the peak yeah. of humanity. And that's what will design so, the matrix around. Um, so, <laughs> so I met my, my wife on Tinder uh, in 2014 and she like Googled me before meeting me and found, uh, you know, to my horror that you know, she, had, <laughs> she, had, she had read some of my articles before <laughs> And like she knew, so like she knew of me at least. And and one thing she found is that like there was a section on the mannequin Wikipedia page. It's not there anymore. I'm still where like I was quoted. It was like reception in Philadelphia. And then it was just like a brief summary of my article. That's still in there, but there's no like reception in Philadelphia subhead. Now you've made you've made two references to how you're not super proud of this article. Is that is that what I'm getting? No, oh no. I'm actually very proud of this okay, article. Good. I'm just a self deprecating person okay. in general like so 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 we watched uh my so she was like well i, I like i i, I want to watch this movie with you so we we watched it and then like mannequin became one of our things you know like we'd we'd play like nothing's gonna stop us now to like gag each other um our first holiday season together like i got her the laser disc of it and she got me like a 12 inch single of nothing's gonna stop us now it's like adorable that's As normal. usual, she did. She did better uh, than it, at the gift giving. Um, <laughs> and so then, uh, oh, later- I, I want to uh, add a point to this. Uh, I personally have given my wife this soundtrack uh, on vinyl to Mannequin. I've bought her the DVD, which is actually kind of hard to find, and it's not streaming anywhere. So you have to buy it on hard media. Also, <laughs> uh, for one Valentine's Day, I commissioned a poster of uh, the Mannequin cover with me and her on it. She's the Kim Control Aww. Mannequin with a so so. I mean. I'm really vibing with you here. Is my point much like much like uh, much like Andrew McCarthy's, whose head is obviously pasted on the poster, <laughs> right? And, uh, and I, someone else's body. I'm a mannequin fucker. I'm out and proud. <laughs> so we all have so, a personal connection. Dream team, the dream mannequin team here. Um. So you know the big like you know center court area um, where she hang glides and, sure. and hits the hits the security guard. That is where I proposed to my wife. Oh, that's um, beautiful. I, I wanted to, you know, like there's a lot of cliches. I lived, so I lived like, you know, maybe like six blocks away from this department store for like 15 years. She had moved in with me for, you know, after, after a while. And I wanted to do something near us. And this seemed to make the most sense. Um, 
what's amazing is that I later wrote a second story about Mannequin. I've probably written maybe others, who knows? Um, but <laughs> I, I was trying to do like an oral history of it for Philly Mag and like no one would want it to talk to me about it. So well, they were um, making Mr. Nenny yeah. too. Still yeah, in production. Yeah, yeah. God, I can't um, wait for them to finish that. So about a month before my career at my old uh, my old sports blog imploded, I wrote I wrote a long post for the the uh, the feminist blog in that same uh, you know network of sites about mannequin, specifically that one of the mannequin heads from that movie was on display at a store uh, called South Fellini, which had a new location at that same mall, which it's which has since been renovated and sort of made worse. Um, <laughs> And they had like posted like, hey, we got one of the mannequins from Mannequin. Like, I, and I later found out they had gotten it from some dude who worked on the movie who like they were going to throw out all these mannequin parts. Um, they'd, not been, in a they'd been fucked to death is what yeah, the problem yeah. was. And so he just like took a bunch of them. And he left like, he left on the mannequin here. destroyer and saved each and every one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they they posted the photo and then like Kim Cattrall saw it and she was like, nope, that's not it. Uh, like I have like, you know, like I have one. Tanya has one. Like Michael has one. Like, I, I don't know, like said all these things about like where it was. So that is how I ended up interviewing uh, Tanya Wolf, Wolf Rager, who did confirm that the mannequin that they had was the mannequin from the from the okay. film they they like that it had like a different body like they just grabbed he, right. they just grabbed sort of whatever mannequin arms and so and, kim kim cattrall is wrong again yeah uh her uh her like I, I loved her quote like about you know like so they basically just like gave her the script with like notes on it that was like here's where you um like here's here's where you here's where we need mannequins and so she says, I was given the task to figure this shit out. Here's everywhere where a mannequin appears in the movie. I said to myself, look at the script, Tanya. What do you need to sculpt? Here's where she turns into a mannequin. Here's where she's going into the chopper. And then we had a nice long conversation that did not make the article about the idea of the mannequin chopper and, and how that product did not exist. <laughs> Nobody has the need um, to destroy yeah. mannequins on such a grand scale. So that, to, that to her like, credit, I want to say that like there's only one point in the movie where you're like, oh, there, someone did a specific pose to get in this pose. Like Kim Charles dancing and she does this really weird move, kind of like a dab. And then yeah, like yeah. Hollywood comes in and, she, and the mannequin's in that position. It's like that's the only time when you're like very, very conscious of the transition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She does. She also sculpted uh, Meshach Taylor. He gets turned into a mannequin briefly in the second. Oh, fantastic! Movie. They brought her back. Um, you got to bring back the same mannequin. Yeah, sculpture. yeah. Um, and and like I said, she's like a very good uh, sculptor, a very accomplished uh, artist. You can you can like find her on uh, Instagram. And Where's that uh, Meshach Taylor mannequin? Uh, That's a. If I gotta you, get an anniversary uh, present soon. We gotta, I will, I, I'm gonna outbid you I do on not it. Have, I, I have a I have a photo that I'll that I'll send you that's like a shot from her studio that's like a bunch of mannequin heads. <laughs> okay. Different uh one of them is Bill Paxton. I don't know what Oh shit, no, wait, I'm getting that one. <laughs> but God, I'm trying yeah. to think of that. So so anyway, like our my and my wife's love for this movie has has moved from, you know, like ironic to you know full-blown complete fandom fantastic and thank you for that beautiful romantic story about you and your wife and also for the information that there's a bill paxton head out there waiting for me to fuck it einstein hooted frankfurt einstein hooted
Hello's at it too good for too long. Sarsquatch, laughing at us from their unspoiled forest. Don't even pay rent. Well, I'm sick of it. And I've recruited the best goddamn big feet hunters this side of the Withlacoochee. I call them the Supremes. We got Three Finger Louie, Aaron Croston, Adrian H, Aiden Muat, Alpha Scientist Javo, Andreas Larson, Armando Nava, Badger is hunting foot big because he's dyslexic. Benjamin Cyronin. Ben Talzer. Brandon Garlock brought Bigfoot urine, but not as a lure. And that's all gentlemen say. Brian Saylor. Breanne Whitney. Rockway loves the meat millet. Woo-wee, yes he does. Very two math. Zeril. Chad ain't satisfied hunting Bigfoot. He's here to make a Bigfoot hunt him. Chance McDermott. Chris Brower, Curious Glare, Bigfoot stole his girl. Not romantically, Bigfoot stole a whole person and he's here for revenge. Dan B, Devin the Rogue Supreme, Dean Costello, Bigfoot stole his girl, but romantically, and he's here to win her back. Donald Finney, Dr. Awkward, Eric Spalding, Fancy Shark stole Bigfoot's girl, and he's here to do it again. Jellaho, Greg Cunningham, Hambo, Paraka is actually hunting a Mothman. Fucking takes all kinds, am I right? Harvey Penguini, Hot Fart, Jaber Al Aiden, Jeff Araski, John Dean, John Hector McFarlane has successfully hunted seven big feet. Wears her heads on a necklace and never takes off. It's so heavy he's got neck problems. It's real. That's real stuff right there. John McCammon, John Minkoff. Josh Fabian. Joshua Graves is hunting every man's dream. Two big feet at the same time. Josh S. Ken Paisley. K&M is hunting Bigfoot the truck. He gonna skin it. M. Jahi Chappelle. Mac Miserable. Matt Riley. Max Baroy. Michael Lair is here to save Bigfoot the deluded son of a bitch. Michael Wells. Mickey Loman. Mike Styles. Moju fell for one of Bigfoot's pyramid scams. Ain't nobody leaves this forest till that $3,500 comes back. ND. Neil Bailey. Neil Schaefer. Neku 104 don't believe in Bigfoot, but does believe the zoo has lost more apes than they cotton to. Nick Ralston. Ozzy Olin. Patrick Hurst. Rachel is Bigfoot's girl, and she caught him stepping out. Rain Vargas. Rhiannon. Sarkovsky. Sean Chase. Saren is only here to find out what they say about fellers with big feet is true. Spotty Reception. Supernaut. Ted H. Thomas Cavazos don't want to kill Bigfoot, but he sure wants to fuck him up some. Timmy Leahy. Toasty God. Tom Sakula has two trained Bigfoot hounds, and they will attack anything over seven feet tall. Sorry, Shaq. Tommy G. Waylon Russell. Yesarian. And Unandy, who is secretly a Bigfoot in a hat and trench coat. He's here because infiltrating Bigfoot hunts is the only thing that gets his motor running anymore. And I support it. Oh no, the hounds! Run! Run, you majestic bastard!